0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Christopher U Podcast. This is a podcast about all things cultural, food, media, sports, video games, and the artistic struggle. Let's make the ordinary extraordinary. So come on in. Just don't forget to take your shoes off. And today we have a super special, super awesome, super cool guest. I have this uh, laundry list of guests that I have, and she is literally the second name There, Not that it's in any order of importance, but obviously I wrote her name second. The first name is Eddie Huang, (laughs) who is the author of Fresh Off the Boat. So, you know, the the, the fact that she's second after Eddie Huang is a big deal because I I love Eddie as a fellow Taiwanese man. But anyways, uh, this person is a poet. She's a writer. She's also a student who's pursuing her master's in psychology. She is the author of Birthday Girl from Not a Cult Media. She's an overall phenomenal human being, Sheila Seder, Everyone,
1: Woo-hoo. hi, hi! Thanks for having me. Oh, this yes. is so cool. This
0: Thank is so you. Cool.
1: That Thank was a you. really nice intro. Usually someone will like read the whole bio and it like just feels like someone's singing happy birthday to you. So <laughs> you're just sitting there really shy. So I, I appreciate like the kind of abridged short version of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. All right. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I've been working on them. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm so sorry. I didn't ask you this before we hit recording. How do you pronounce your last name? I hope I didn't.
1: Uh, it's like uh the way i like tell every like honestly just white people is sadder
0: right. uh
1: but it's technically sad but no one can say it so I'm just like uh, sadders fine you said it fine like you really did
0: i said it the the anglo way, which is
1: yeah <laughs> it's fine I'll <That'll laughs> I mean, do for now i i i'm like i hit that boat where like i'm over people trying to pronounce it I'm right. just over it i just like there's other stuff in the conversation that needs to happen
0: <laughs> It's more, it's more important things we got to get to. Yeah,
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get business done here. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Hey, Come on, sign the paperwork here, people. <laughs> so, um, if I, if I may th- so if I'm going start there first. So if you're listening to this podcast or watching this recording on my YouTube and you're like, who is Sheila besides this, you know, what I said before. So b- before we hit record, we were trying to figure out how long we've actually known each other. And I think we, we've settled on seven eight years which is mind blown (laughs) just absolutely insane we met at an open mic based out of long beach shout out to the definitive soapbox family and everyone there and um you know i got there early i i was there with some friends and actually the friends that i went with live in long beach now which is really cool yeah um Like recently. So it's, it's funny that they ended up there. But anyways, so, you know, I signed up. I was like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm finally gonna do this because I had been writing on and off for a while. And um, Sheila was there, and she performed. And there were some other people, but I really remember Sheila <laughs> and, uh, and, and we also got to talk. I mean, everyone kind of talked afterwards and the, the, the community and the family is, is so wonderful there and everyone's so nice and encouraging and you know what I mean? If they thought in their head, man, these, these kids suck, you would never have known because they were also, you know what I mean? Like they're also yeah. like wonderful and nice and authentic. Like you felt that, you know, but anyways, I more or less, that's when I be- became a, uh, uh, Sheila fan, a Sheila Stan. <laughs> you will you know and oh, uh,
1: gosh. <laughs> following her
0: on you know Instagram and all that stuff throughout all the cool things that you've you've done oh my gosh and uh you know we finally have this platform where we can actually like talk about chat. yeah we can actually chat you know and uh and uh I can't have believe
1: this- you remember like that first time that we like engage because I just like I just remember like seeing your face and then you performing and then talking to you after, but I don't remember anything outside of that. And I know you came back one more time after, if I remember correctly. And the first Uh time I went there was the first time that I met you.
0: Mm. Yeah. 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 Same. I don't know if I went back. I don't think I did because you went
1: twice and you were wearing like the first time, you were wearing a, like a suit. You Dude, that growing-
0: jacket? let me. T- oh, man, I think I have it still. It's this jacket. It's this like sports coat I bought at like a Goodwill somewhere. And it was like soft. It was like <laughs> not like velvet, but it was super cool. And it's, it's-
1: <laughs> and you're, like you take a moment. And you're like, it was. Soft.
0: Yeah, it was soft it was, with the. It was real soft. With like a lowercase s, but like italicized. Yeah. You
1: know oh, mean? it was super. Yeah, it was. Soft, soft is
0: like Naruto running, if you will.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it was. It was good.
1: I, I can tell it was important to you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. But no, I,
1: I really I remember that. I remember you dressed up, and then we like followed each other, and then I just. I, I've been following you since I've seen all like the creative arcs and stuff, and it's been really cool. Yeah. There was a point, and correct me if I'm wrong, you got into Buddhism. Honestly.
0: Yes, that's right. I've actually so I was born into this practice. I practiced with this organization. My mom joined when she was pregnant with me. Um and um uh she she joined because her parents, my grandparents in Taiwan introduced her to it. And so it's this Buddhist organization called the Sokagakai International. It started in Japan, but it's international now. Yeah, it my grandparents, like yeah. So my grandparents joined, and um, uh, I was I grew up in the practice, but like stopped when I went to college because I was busy and stuff like that. I still mean, t- you know, practice to some degree, but wasn't like really active. Um, but when I kind of like took time away from school and just started working, then I started practicing more and start no. like sharing about that that was I think like 2016 which is crazy that to think that we've known each other longer than kind of that part of my my life you know what I mean we, like that we really. Met,
1: we met I think I want to say 2014 or 2013
0: that's nuts I hope yeah. it's 2014 cuz 2013 seems like literally impossible for some reason. <laughs> like I just can't wrap well, my head. The
1: reason I know that is I graduated high school in 2013 and then started college in 2013 and I right. know that we met like fall
0: 2013.
1: Yeah. Nuts. I know I it's weird that like I cuz I rem, like it, it's you're just like such an instrumental part of like that beginning period of definitive for me Mm. and so like i very distinctly remember you
0: wow that wow that is and then like
1: i was able to like follow you like (laughs) through many life things that just happened and also just like i saw you get into buddhism and i i just like it was like uh i saw well you've also seen me through relationships i've seen you (laughs) through relationships right
0: right right
1: like I think like it's just I didn't want to bring it out, but I was also <laughs> like I I feel like that kinship with you.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you're just like scrolling. You're like ah, oh, new person. Word. Hope they're doing well. <laughs> and
1: then and then it's like okay, breakup. Yeah, All right.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, Okay, it's been about you know a year, two years. Oh, okay, cool. Moving on.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> that's like. I just very distinctly, like, I just feel kinship with you in that because you definitely saw me through heartbreak.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. You know, ver- very often you don't hear how <laughs> the 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 successes of social media in this way to, like, maintain that, that connection. I mean, of course it was, you know, the definitive soapbox, like, platform and, like, the poetry community that allowed you know, you and I to meet. And then, like you said, right, you kind of jazzed one because you're like, oh, okay, this person is another creative person that is trying to, you know, in in, in, in like my opinion, I, I have this like perception of you where, you know, you want to have not like a big voice, but an influential voice. But I think, you also seem to make an effort to stay like very rooted and grounded and like humble whether it's with like your family or your you know fiance congratulations by the way (laughs) yeah engaged yeah
1: betrothed
0: yeah right 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 um yeah i i i have this you know that that's my like perception of like who you are and i i feel you know if that is correct I feel the same way of like this is the type of influence like I want to create where it's more you know anyways yeah but is that accurate
1: I appreciate no I appreciate yeah I I appreciate that where it's like yeah I definitely want to make an impact but also I'm kind of I don't know if this is like a fair thing to say but I kind of don't like selling my identity or exactly packages packaging oh my god packaging it to like the world which is something like you you kind of when you start doing it you start realize what what does well Mm -hmm. and then it's kind of like weird because you feel like you're selling it and it's such a precious thing to you so it feels weird to sell so um yeah and I really like to I, I I remember social media being a place where you just shared cool little bits of your life and it wasn't like a Craigslist. (laughs) So so, like, I just really appreciate that element of it. Like, I just want people to remember these are just bits of my life. And, and I, and I like, I like them. I've always like enjoyed that. And it's only recently that, you know, I, I made like the commitment to kind of transition into something more publicly public or influential in a way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, excuse me. Thank you for sharing that. I 100% like resonate with that. And I think that's what I am trying to do as well. And so, you know, I, I I have friends that I really look up to for, for how they present themselves on social media, because I, I, I feel like they're as close as they can, you know, the, 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 the version of themselves that they present on social media is 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 as as close as you know if we met like and talked in like person it's like the same version you know yeah. um that my last my last guest allison parker she's um a musical theater actress and personal trainer and we've known each other through college but didn't really talk but when she started kind of promoting her like fitness you know she served by a personal trainer and she wants to market herself but i, I think she still she did in, in still a way that was still like allison I was like, we got to talk about that. You know what I mean? And how like dope that is because not enough people do that. So yeah, I I, I, I really got to say, yeah.
1: It also, sorry to interrupt. It also just fine. takes a lot of work to maintain. And there was like a certain point where, and maybe this isn't fair to say, but to me, I was like looking and I was like, I am spending so much time doing this thing that isn't, isn't fulfilling either mm. financially or emotionally or spiritually it's just making me anxious <laughs> and so <laughs> like i was just like it i hit a point where and i i'm hitting that point like it, it's also just i my relationship with social media has always changed like mm. i once had like a really healthy relationship i had really unhealthy relationship with it like and now i'm at that point where i'm just like okay I know that I have to be this thing. We're not have to, but I'm choosing to be this thing. How can I do it authentically for myself? And how can I also value my boundaries? Because like, I don't necessarily want to talk about being queer on Instagram. It's just not my thing. It's not for me. And that's mainly because it's maintaining privacy. It's respecting my family. It's, you know, for me, it's, it's a self of like protection. And, but then you also feel this like, parasocial kind of shame that you're not out to the world, which is, um, a whole thing in it of itself. So I feel like for me, I just like was looking at it and I was like, what is this truly benefiting me? And if it's not benefiting me like spiritually or socially, and it's not benefiting me financially, then I'm just like, all right, well, how can I either like make it work for me? Or maybe I need to take a break. Which is like something that I've been, I think because I'm like promoting the workshop, it feels a little different, you know, like um, because promoting the workshop, you have to be out there. You have to put yourself out there. You have to sell yourself. And oh, I loved it. I love it. It's just, I don't know if anyone can tell on my social media how much like I hate doing it. I hate selling myself because it's frightening because you, you get numbers back, you know, you see what actually is impacting and that that's deeply unpleasant. No time ever in the, in the history of the world, can you actually like numerically find out how many people engage with who you are on the internet until now. So it's definitely like, I think I have like a little bit of a more skeptical relationship with it now, which probably is an indicator for me that I can't put as much stock in it at the time. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah. Like hot, I have like a lot of hot takes about social media.
0: <laughs> no, that's great. I think, ah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that that's absolutely, you know, correct. Um, you, you brought up your workshop and I love to talk about it. Could, could you quickly in, introduce, I mean it doesn't be quickly. I don't know why I said quickly, but anyways, please mm-hmm. introduce your workshop and I'd love to know like how it came along and you know, the, yeah, yeah
1: yeah no i'll get I'll, I'll say it real speedy no um <laughs> i just so kind of so the workshop is called hush gel good earth because in farsi means beautiful but also in br- like breaking down the translation hush means happy gel means dirt or earth so it's a good earth happy earth workshop and essentially the reason it kind of came about and it'll kind of explain it in the process was I was working for a nonprofit. I'm still kind of working for them. It's Get Lit, where I was teaching some, a drop-in class, which essentially means that there's new students who come in every week or there's some continuing. And in that process, it's a really fruitful. Some kids stick around, some kids don't. Whoever wants to come in can come in. But what ends up happening is you can't really track their progress or curate like a path for them. And so what ends up happening is you're basically doing like beginner level stuff, beginner to intermediate level stuff for like a year. Just so like I have like 40 some workshops that are just one off beginner level workshops. And I was kind of hitting this point where I was like, I really want to stick with one group of people for a little bit longer and track it. And also I was curious about I did this one workshop presentation with the more advanced group because they we have an advanced group at Getlet called the Getlet players. And I did a workshop about mental health and poetry in the poetry community because I it's deeply affected me and I've seen it deeply affect a lot of people in the open mic scene and poets in general and and leave kind of an impact and and I saw that there was no kind of psychoeducation happening around that and so I developed a workshop around it and it was really fruitful it created like really amazing conversations with these kids in a way that like I think they've never really thought about and it really inspired me to develop a workshop around A workshop series so cumulative around a poet's relationship or a writer's relationship with their work and their community at large so it's basically focusing on establishing a poet's relationship with their art because for me that was integral to my to what i would say my success has been so far Uh, just establishing what my relationship to my work is Mm. and and kind of making peace with that because when you say to yourself oh, I'm a poet. This is my right, my job. Oh, my job is a writer. Like, that's what I want to be. Oh man, like you're going to be broke. (laughs) Like, oh man, you're going to have to do so many things. And, and you have to explain that to people and explain that to your family. And what ends up happening is, you know, you have to make peace with that in a way, if that's what you choose to do. And it was also a big, important element of managing my expectations. And so establishing their relationship with their work is really important because not everyone wants to be a career writer, right? Not everyone wants to do that. And and not everyone understands, like, if you choose to be a writer, it's not always romantic. It's hard. It's stressful. Mm -hmm. It's anxiety inducing. And so establishing that relationship and then another element of the workshop is, Basically creating uh, a community project in service, and in service to the community through poetry. So we're going to be brainstorming with the people who've signed up so far, we're going to be brainstorming together a way to serve the community using our work and our art and our voice. And, and and I think it's just important because we think that writing is such like a solitary individual thing. And if I've learned anything, like everyone's success is when they help others. Like when you're helping others, when you're in service to others, when you know that you're con- connected to your community, that has been where I have made the most connections, made the most success, um, made the biggest steps in my career. If that does, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's a five week workshop. We meet twice a week, and we are just charting that. So it feels like it might be like a poetry writing workshop, but it's not really. Uh, It's kind of like a weird alternative. Hmm. I don't know if that explained it, but.
0: That was great. Absolutely. It was a (laughs)
1: long-winded way, but I think all of those elements are very important to explain how I got there and why it's happening.
0: Yeah. 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 No, thank you. I I think um, as, as we've had guests on this podcast and we're, you know, talking about their, you know, what they do in their kind of field or passion or hobby or, what have you um, what really stands out is there's always a clear why behind what they do. And for me, I, I I think personally, that's the most inspiring thing because as you know, air quotes here, creatives, right. Our, our why W H Y seems to, you know, always need to develop and grow and change because whatever that like lit that fire you know years ago just may not cut it now right but we still have this like desire and like passion and you know we believe in whatever it is that we're doing we believe in the power of it we believe in the significance and the importance of it you know but it's always that 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 kind of why that needs to be you know, nurtured and taken care of. May, may I ask, like, you know, we haven't done, like, what's your origin story? So maybe we, we should cover some of that. Yeah. Like, how did you, you know, get started into, basically, like, the Sheila in, like, 2021. How did you get here, you know, starting from w- wherever you feel is...
1: Oh, man, like, career-wise, uh, I feel... I, like, the, the story that I, I tell is that I was writing... I like it was in eighth grade. It's so lame, but we were going like through eighth grade promotion, where they like promote you from eighth grade to ninth grade.
0: Right, right.
1: And um, they were looking for, and I was like really. I, I always like with endings, I get really existentially distressed. Ever since like I was younger, if like I was graduating high school, I was existentially distressed. College. I'm currently watching The Avatar, The Last Airbender, and um, I, I like, I've rewatched it several times, but I can never watch the end because I get really existentially distressed. Um, and in eighth grade, I was feeling really existentially distressed, and I, it was like this buzzing, and I, um, I like went in and I wrote a poem about aging, about growing up, and how the world tells us to grow up. And I like wrote that and I read it to my parents and I didn't even know what I made, to be honest. Like I had no idea it was a poem. And then um, I read it at my eighth grade promotion on the stage. And like everyone thought that like, oh, someone else wrote it and she was just reading it. But no, I, it was mine and I wrote it and it like won a contest. And then I kind of just fell in love with it. Like, that's like the best way I could say it. I like fell in love with reading it. I felt, fell in love with watching it. There was no like open mics in Orange County at the time, at least that I knew of. And so I just kind of grew up just watching button poetry and slam fine and things like that. And then when I finally, I, when I finally went to an open mic, when I was graduating high school, it was like this Ricky Dean open mic that was just like a couple of guitarists playing and me and, um, and then I went to, I found like Long Beach had a poetry, a slam poetry team. And so I auditioned and I got in. And so that was kind of the origin story in, in a way. But I think the true, like I had been writing and I had been doing poetry for a long time, but it was like a hobby. Mm. It was like a side hustle. Um, it was, it was, just something that I really loved to do creatively. And then I hit a point where I was like, oh, this is my job. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Because I had been writing scripts. I had been writing stories. I had been writing poems. I had, I've been like a, a deeply creative person for a really long time. And then like, I think it was in, probably like two, three years ago, I was in uh, Iceland with my mom and we were in a car and I like wrote in my journal. I was like, oh, I'm married to poetry. Like I defined my relationship. I was like, it's no longer this person I'm dating. I, it's no longer this like mistress or whatever. I'm married to this person. I'm married to poetry and poetry's never going to go away no matter how hard I try. And every time I was trying to think of Trying to be a lawyer, trying to be a psychologist, all these things. I was always worried poetry would go away. I was always worried that my writing or creativity would go, and, and, and just that kind of hit that point where I was just like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then with not a cult, I don't know if this is kind of it, it's such a long story. It's like trying to say the story of your life in a in a way. But um, <laughs> yeah. But the last thing I'll say is I started like submitting my work to places. I, I, I just kind of like, no one really tells you how to do it. Um, you kind of just do it on your own. You just pick you just pick up things on your own. So I just started submitting to places and I saw not a cult was taking submissions to what I thought was just like a couple poems <laughs> that they would publish, um, not knowing it was a book contest. <laughs> and then I was a finalist and I realized, oh dang, I have to write a book. In a month, and I was like, "Oh shit, I'm out of town when I'm doing this." But I, I did. I tried really hard. I put a book together, um, and I realized I was pulling poems from like high school again. So I was like, "Oh, I started learning a lot from the process of making a book." I was like, "Oh, I need to write more. Oh, this book needs to have a story. Oh, this da 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 da." I ended up not winning it, but then the following year, I I submitted again. And I was like, there's no way, like there's no way I'm gonna be a finalist. Lightning doesn't strike twice. I was like, there's no way. And then I was a finalist again. And this time it wasn't like you submit a manuscript. I I, I was already putting the book together before then. But um, I had an interview with my publisher and he said, he asked me, like, why do you want this book? Or what's the goal for this book? And I was like, whether or not you pick up this book, it's happening. Like, I was like, this book is happening. It's coming. You choose to be on this train or you don't. And apparently that's what really caught him. And that and I ended up winning. So that was really, really, really cool. And I think that was the point. That's how I've led up to this point. And I mean, I had so many plans uh, to go on tour, to do all these things, to really like like launch it. Mm-hmm. but you know, God laughs at the plans you make. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I never ended up going on tour. I may, I went like on a mini virtual tour, but um, yeah, the book happened and it happened during the pandemic.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's
1: like the long, that's like a very long winded story that went everywhere.
0: No, that that's perfect. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was also layered with like a lot of heartbreak, but, yes. but I think that's, it's good fodder for writing.
0: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, what, what are some of your like long-term goals as a, as a poet and like, as a writer, like something like if you live to the age of like 105, you know, and you're, you're chilling there, you got the rocking chair, the blanket over your lap, nice, hot cup of tea. You're thinking about your life the things that like you've done, what, what are those things that you're like, hell yeah, I checked that off. You know,
1: that's a really good, hard question. If you <laughs> had asked me like three months ago, it'd be super different. Wow. Um, because I'm in, the, I'm in a point in transition in my life where I'm shifting from what I had planned. To, because I, I had planned to go uh, get an MFA uh, in Indiana. I, I plan to like uproot my whole life and go there and then become a professor and um, teach and come back to uh, California and teach and do publishing and all that. But um, I got a ring mm. on my finger and mm. that man has changed all my plans. Damn. Uh, how dare he?
0: Son of a gun. Excuse-
1: I know. I know. He's just he's trouble. But and he, the worst
0: part is he's just so handsome too.
1: He's beautiful. He's a, Don't get me started. He's, he's a good-looking
0: dude. I, I saw that and I was like, "Okay." <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's my like favorite. Is that like really strange to say my favorite thing is when people tell me he's good-looking? Like I've had people hit on him in front of me and it makes me deeply happy. <laughs> That's
0: really funny. That's really great. Yeah, he could definitely sell me some cologne and I'd be like,
1: "Yeah." I was, and the other day I was looking at thank you. I like I love talking about him. The other day I was like looking at him and I was like, have you ever thought about modeling?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He has this he like really
1: tall too. He looks he's, really like, tall. He's tall. He's like six one or something. Oh, 2 two.
0: Let's have a guy eye to eye.
1: Thank you for bringing up. I love talking about him. I'm so gay for him. I yeah. love him so much. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he like when we were dating, he knew that, that was my dream. But um, you know. I saw his dream too. And his dream is very much, um, you know, you see someone who like studies for an interview puts like all his hours and times of day to do this thing. Cause he helps developmentally disabled um, adults and he, it's his, just like his life passion and the thought of stripping him away from that was just like, not, something I had the heart for because the things that I love, like it's weird when like you, I never, I want to write about this and uh, there's definitely going to be something that comes out when when I start writing about it. But like, there was something that very spiritually shifted for me because when you're like dating someone, it's, I don't know. I I could be wrong for me dating someone. I was like, well, no, I come first in this situation. (laughs) Like if I'm going to Indiana and you don't agree, it's my thing. Like I'm going. Um, and he like, and then you get engaged and then that person's things that they care about become equal to yours. Like they matter just as much to you. And so um, when I saw his dreams, I was like, okay, like I really need to shift my perspective because I can't take him away from this. So um, if I were to like, look back when I was 105, I think right now what I would really care about is that I taught And I wrote more books or articles and different genres. I think I would really have liked to do some really neat things with creativity. And I really want to open a bookstore. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that would be really fun. I want to open something that helps the community around me, um, that helps uplift them. Um, I really, really want, I hope like whatever creative thing I do uh, helps people like that's kind of the big thing for me helps people but also in a more specific way connects people I think that's something that's really important to me um so yeah teaching being creative making cool shit and like a bookstore hell yeah probably being a therapist at some point since I'm in this I'm in school (laughs) that's like a side hustle
0: yeah yeah (laughs) that's hilarious what um what, what was it like for you, like, growing up? Because your, your parents are immigrants, right? They came here. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. What was that?
1: It's, it was a very, I have a very, like, unique upbringing in the sense that, well, like, everybody does. But uh, one, my, my unique upbringing was my, my parents were family friends when they were kids in Iran and then they had their own and they loved each other then apparently and then they kind of had their own lives had kids got married they went through divorces and then they very much reconnected in California and I was their kid and so I have siblings that are all in their 40s (laughs) like (laughs) And <laughs> like, and then, um, and I was like the kid of, I, I'm like a first generation Iranian American and my parents are really, really like workaholics. Like they they work a lot, which I think I really picked up on too. They work a lot. And then they also are extremely helpful people. So we had a lot of people coming in through the house when I was growing up, uh, because they were helping people kind of get on their feet. And so there were, there were times where like I was was sleeping on a couch or in my parents' bed or on the floor by their bed while other people were staying here. So my parents, so my parents were very giving, helpful, like hardworking people. And, and it was, it was really, really good because it taught me a lot, but it was also really hard because I felt very lonely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Especially like being raised in orange county right and that's that's basically where, where they make white people
1: yeah that's where white people come from <laughs>
0: yeah right right right. they all come from this tree that just this
1: like orange yeah. county
0: yeah, yeah yeah you know um in, in terms of like your you know sense of identity like culturally and like ethnically how how does that come around
1: yeah that's a that's a great question. So I was really really lucky in the sense that my parents put me in culture school really early on. Um, so I learned Farsi and and I learned about the Muslim faith uh, quite early on. Um, and that's not something that a lot of Persians did, or, or not many of them did, because you know with the revolution there was a, and and like America's like hatred for Persians, there was a lot of internalized shame. Um, I, I did feel that though. I felt a lot of internalized shame. Like I, I felt, yeah, I didn't feel quite good enough. I think there was like there, I looked up some studies and self-esteem wise Persians don't fare very well with self-esteem in America. (laughs) Just, they just don't. Mm. Um, and it, and it was definitely like really hard and it was, um, I don't know. I felt, like an outcast a lot of the times. I felt pretty rejected just because I was envious about like the big churches that were right by my house. And then my cultural center was an office building in Irvine, like just like a one office, like section in Irvine. And so I felt really envious that like, we didn't have these like big, nice facilities. I felt embarrassed about the food, which you hear a lot with different cultures is like our food feels embarrassing. I, I never felt embarrassed about my last name. I never felt embarrassed about my parents, but I did hear people like, you know, be mean to my parents, be racist. Um, a lot of the stuff that I took from Orange County was a lot of internalized um, shame about being growing up Muslim. like that was something that I because like it was there's a huge, 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 a Christian community everywhere, but very much in, uh, in Orange County. Mm. So that was a hard thing. And also in Orange County, where I went to school, it was really wealthy, mm. extremely wealthy. Like one of the people I graduated with was I don't know if you know the Fisker car. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I graduated with his daughter.
0: Jesus like, Christ!
1: Yeah. So and, and like I graduated with like the mayor's kid, and so I it, it was very affluent, and and that was also very different for me. I think, oh. and that was like hard on me.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing. How how has that? um, In oh, man, I don't want to say the word inspired, but I, I guess I'll, I'll I'll just say influence. How does How, how have you personally taken that time, that influential time, right? And used it towards your, what you do now, whether it's the writing, whether it's the workshops, things like that. Because I think that's another thing about being a a creative is that how do you take all this? Like sometimes it's just baggage. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it's your history, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, But how do you, you know, more or less use this for good, use this to tell a story, use this to uplift, encourage others to create a community, you know, how have, how yeah. has that been for you?
1: I think what it really has done is like, it has given me a really, I mean, this sounds so stupid and privileged, but it's really open, like a, re- a space in my heart where I have a lot of compassion and empathy and space um, for people who have felt outcasted or who have gone marginalized or uncared for, who have been neglected by the community. And then it's also fostered a, a deep disdain for the opposite. <laughs> like, so I, I think for me, so like, it, it's hard to say, but transparently speaking, because like, um, I, I grew up in like an affluent area. It's, it's made me really open up those resources to the and reallocate those resources that I have to, um, to people who may not have access to certain things. So like, for example, with the workshop, the workshop is a lot of labor, a lot of work. Right. Um, and originally, and like, I, 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 I'm all about demystifying costs and charges and all these things. So originally, um, it was, uh, it was at like a very flexible weight rate of $300 for like the whole thing, which is like a very reason it's, it's like, that's what it would cost. But I'm not paying rent. I live with my parents. Like I'm very lucky where I don't have to pay rent. And, and so it to ask for that amount of money when it's not like necessarily a necessity for me, it just didn't feel right. And so I brought like the rate down substantially by like a third. So now it's like a hundred dollars and it's still like the same workshop. It's still the same everything because I like, I think, like that's me trying to like find ways to utilize the privilege that I have financially in the situation that I'm in, um, just to like make it accessible for people who really want to do it and who really want to that access. And so for me, I don't talk about like the, I, I think it's harder to talk about the privilege that you do have, then you don't. Because I can talk about being Iranian and being Muslim in Orange County, right? I can say how that's like influenced me, which it very much has. It's very much probably like the biggest force behind everything I do. But I think it's much harder to say like, I live with my parents, and I'm very lucky, like I don't have to pay rent. And how does that influence how I move in the world and in my community with my craft? And what that means is like for me, and this has always been the case because um, it's just always been the case throughout my career is like I choose to op- like give things more easily or for free. So like before then I was doing like donation based workshops where like I never charged anybody and and it, I did that for like nine months and it was really substantial. It was really like, I learned a lot from it. And then I also, like, helped the community around me in Orange County for the, for artists. So, it's been a lot of, it has been a lot of that, because ultimately, like, excessive, when you're talking about accessibility, you're also talking about resources, you're talking about money, mm-hmm. you're talking about things like that, ultimately. Um, when it comes to just, like, the experience of being Iranian-American, that was, like, the impetus to me sharing my work on on Instagram. The first time I ever shared my poems and stuff, I was really thinking about it. I was really meditating on it. And I, I just came to this thing where I was just like, um, Iranians live in a diaspora. We live in a diaspora where we are very deeply disconnected from each other in a way that is really hard to reconnect. And so for me, I really wanted to reach iranians iranian americans my age and beyond to to reconnect with themselves and each other to challenge that internalized shame that they have as well as the way that they shame others because of it so um that was kind of the motivating element for me and then as time has like continued and my identity obviously is multifaceted as fuck like, you know, I was just like, okay, like, that's how I want to do, I, I want people of color who are queer to know who I am. I want people who are not Christian to know who I am. I want people who are non-binary to know who I am. So that just, it just became more, or like, uh, you know, I have a chronic disorder. So like expressing like, disability rights as much as I can to my own knowledge, because I don't know everything, <laughs> like to, to talk about that and to demystify that as well. So that it's kind of grown where I just want to keep reaching people and connecting with people.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's just so, so awesome. It was a lot. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> um, What would you what advice or you know insight would you share to someone who let's say like in the poetry scene right it's there's there's almost like not a clear path of like what you do like for my you know actor friends and things like that it's all pretty much very you know laid out for you right you audition you get work you build a reel you submit to agencies hopefully find an agent, get a manager, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, there's some steps out there, right? But for like writing, which I know is a very blanket term and specifically poetry, it's like, you gotta, you know, like you laid it out so well. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, and I'm sure having felt discouraged from that myself that it will probably discourage like other people from like pursuing it because it's like, man, now I have to work not only do I have to improve in the craft, of course, be, you know, in order to make a difference in that community and grow as an artist in that craft, but I also have to do this extra legwork to 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 get myself there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, what would you say to someone who who feels that way? Who who who's maybe is like, you know, what do I what do I do in order to really like build? build that you know and it it, it not necessarily like you know asking for like practical things but like you yourself as a person right when you're kind of like sitting in your room or whatever in your space and you just essentially decide right there's this moment where you're like fuck it i'm just gonna make it happen right like how how would you you know convey that like switch you know what i mean where it's like Mm -hmm. i'm just i'm just gonna do it no matter what and like i don't care what it what it takes you know
1: yeah so you're asking like how do I how would I give advice to someone who's kind of like tinkering with that idea
0: yeah you know or feel stuck or
1: yeah I mean the the advice I mean I think it's this is like a horrible I, I don't think it's a horrible thing to say I think it's a very reasonable thing to say I think it's to be realistic I think it's important to be realistic like I personally like like I said, I very much established my relationship with writing, but I also like was like, well, I can't put all my like being a writer is almost like being an entrepreneur in a sense, Mm. because you very much like have to chart your own path, there is not one way to be a writer there really isn't like for me, it worked this way for someone else. It didn't, I know for like years, I was like looking at like screenwriters and looking at like where they came from and like how they got there. A lot of it's nepotism, but, (laughs) but like it is definitely like, I, I found the path that worked for me. And that's like a very challenging thing when a lot of careers have like a charted path. It's very hard. But I also was realistic that I couldn't put all my marbles in one basket. I had to, you know, do this and I had to do that. And I had to go get my master's in something and make sure that I was in a place where I, I really tried. I'm I'm really trying because it's, it's a continual negotiation of like whether it's worth it. Because I still think like that. I know people who have books that come out that, are no longer, you know, career poets, right? They're now, uh, I think he's like, uh, one of my friends is a computer engineer now. I uh, like, they like, some people, you know, transition out after a while. For me, it was like, I wanted a job that would give me the space and the opportunity to invest in my creativity. That was a big thing for me, which is why I got into teaching. Uh, which is also why I really liked psychology, which is why I like th- those kinds of fields that give me that space and that container to take care of those really obvious necessary elements of my life. Because once there's like a, because the way I like to describe it to people, and, and I, I know this is like very tangible, but it's it's all about being realistic. Um, For me, that's something that really helped me was like the tangible thing for me was like, is writing a hobby or a career for you? Because if it's a hobby for you, and I hate giving this advice to people because I feel like it's so harsh, but, but it was something that helped me. So if it doesn't help you or whoever's taking the advice, like that's fine, everyone's brain works differently. But like, for me, it's like, if it's a career or if it's a hobby, you get to like, you know, write and it's fun and it's exciting and you get to go to open mics. But if you're expecting to make it big, there's a low chance, it's hard. You get really lucky, that might happen. You might get discovered, it might be really cool. Uh, Or if you're like submitting as a hobby and it just explodes, that's super cool. But it's it's like it that that's a much harder road, and that's that's not as possible. Where if you're choosing it as a career, it's a continual uh, dedication. It's having writer's block more because you know like money is on the line for it. There's, um, you know, you get really self conscious because maybe a social media post isn't going well, <laughs> like it's there, it's a job. So that means there are good days and then there are really bad days and all the in-betweens. Um, and so, and there is a higher perhaps likability that, you know, you'll get to where you want to go, but it's a long road. It's, it's not an easy road. And so I like to really help people. I, I mean, I know those are two paths, but establishing that in my brain really helped me Mm. and it also helped me really manage my expectations because Mm. I'm never like on social media like oh this is always going well like no probably like three-fourths the time it's not going well in my brain right (laughs) so like for me I, I it's all about like being realistic and kind of developing a strategy. Before, it was like, I just want to have my poems out in these publications that I'm wild about. Like, that's what I wanted. I I never thought about having a book. I got really lucky with the book thing. Um, The book thing. <laughs> I got really lucky with the book thing. But, um, and now it's like, okay, I have this thing. What are my next goals? What are the next things I want to do? And then it, it's like an agent, a manager. Like, I need... I need those next steps now. And I and that's a whole learning curve. So it's like my biggest piece of advice, which is probably not the most hopeful, like hippie woo-woo thing in the world, has has been managing my expectations. And and I'm not good at it, but it has really helped me. It, it has really helped me. And and I think it's like if you are afraid, it's very reasonable to be afraid, but doing it anyways takes a lot of courage it takes a lot of courage to put something out there and it only gets 20 likes. (laughs) Like, it's it's very courageous, you know? Or if it gets like 10 likes or five or like no one sees it, to just leave it up there, it takes so much courage. (laughs) Me, like speaking for myself, that happens so many times. And then I think I have only like out of all the poetry posts that I have on Instagram or whatever, like maybe four have done well. Like- (laughs) you know, in my book. Right. So it's, it's it, I don't know if that answers it, but I think my biggest piece of advice would be managing expectations and choosing where you want to invest your creativity. Really,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's a big thing for me.
0: Yeah. Wow. Thank you. No, that's, that, that's, that's, that, that's honestly wonderful. Really, really appreciate that. Um, can we talk about food real fast?
1: Yes. <laughs> All
0: right, cool. So I, I, I'm trying to figure out a way to like, you know, what what's the best way to hear like people's favorite things? So I'm going to I'm going to present like a hypothetical situation to you. Okay. And um, this will hopefully be a recurring thing once it's, you know, once it uh, does what I want it to do. So let's say, you know, aliens visit this earth and they visit you and they say, hey, we're you know, anthropologists and we like to learn about food uh, and we want you to tell us what are the three things, you know, whether they're dishes or what have you drinks or can be included as well, you know, that you have experienced that have really resonated with you Mm -hmm. and because they're aliens, they have advanced technology. Let's say you used to go to this restaurant growing up as a kid and they were known for something the restaurant's gone it's okay it can still be on the list because they have the technology to whatever recreate that the only stipulation is that you had to have eaten it yourself Mm. it it can't be like oh well there's a certain
1: place and whatever
0: exactly you had to have consumed it yourself And so three, three items. It could be more. I just picked three because you know, because when I say something like five or seven, people are like, uh, the number gets too, you know, intimidating. But I'm thinking
1: like I I say I'm thinking of like my brain is doing the thing where it's like I because the question I ask my students as like a check-in is like, what's your favorite genre of food? Uh Like like your favorite genre. And so I'm trying to think in genres. Um uh, so like I would say so far I have two. My first one is like I feel like Will is going to roll his eyes if he ever like listens to this. <laughs> my favorite one is like shabu. Like if you've oh. ever heard shabu shabu, it's it's like the best thing in the whole world. It's... And I'm embarrassed that it's my favorite thing cuz you're literally just cooking like meat and water and veggies and water and like <laughs> that's like what it is.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, oh, oh, oh. T- time out, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Time out. <laughs> It's, it's not, it's 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 more it's more broth than it is water.
1: Yes, it's you know like boiling mean? broth and yeah, like you yeah, put yeah. like garlic and I'm and just right. saying it the way that Will would describe it because <laughs> Will is Will is not that fond of it. I've had so many birthdays at Shabu Shabu. Like I've had so many birthdays. Like anytime if someone's like anyone's trying to coax me to do anything, they just have to say shabu. Like if they're like hey, you want to jump off a building? We'll get Shabu later. I'm doing it. Like, just, <laughs> I, I love Shabu. So the reason I love Shabu is like, um, it's just so simple. It's, I don't want to say clean, but it just feels healthier. Yeah, um, yeah. And also like, I'm just a pro at it. I've never felt more good at anything <laughs> in my life. Like, I feel very good at it. And then also, um. I've learned over the years that shabu is a very multicultural thing. There's Japanese shabu, there's Chinese shabu, there's Korean shabu. Like there's many different forms of it. And that has been like a really exciting world to open up. I've only had Japanese shabu, but I've always like wanted to have other different types of shabu because they look so cool and different. And I love the element. I'm sorry, I could talk about it forever. I love the element... Of like it, you you really can choose your own adventure with it. Like yeah. you, can, you know, you can you can either like have like a really sweet, savory experience, or you could literally burn your butthole. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's literally like my favorite thing. And then the second thing I would say is kebab. I'm a really, really big fan of kebab obviously a big staple in persian food and culture and but it's also a staple in many many cultures many swana mm-hmm. cultures have that Tur- turkey has something called donor kebab so good it's so good it's just amazing and so i love i love like the i love like the multi-purposeness of these kinds of foods mm. i'm trying to think of another one um Oh, I can't, I like, I'm trying to, like, I love sushi. Like I love sushi, but I feel like everyone says they love sushi. I love soup dumplings. Like I, I'm just, I literally had dumplings for breakfast this morning. Like I, yes, I'm a really big, I think during the pandemic, um, there's like a, a, it's still happening, but like during the big part of the pandemic where everything was like shutting down and no one was going out. Um, there's a din Fung. like, like near my house like maybe 15 minutes away and I was going there at least two to three times a week for takeout. like like I I have tried to make soup dumplings so so yeah, I'm just like a really 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 big fan of just like all Asian cuisine, but that's a very broad brushstroke. Yeah, yeah yeah. so like but I I have a tendency to be really, really open to trying all those foods. and then a restaurant. That I would tell aliens to go to. Um, I really have to think about this one because, like, I'm so hungry now, and I literally just ate. Ugh. Um, a restaurant. Okay, so I have. Can I say two? Of course. Okay, so I'll do the really fancy one, and then like the the hole in the wall spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is this restaurant. It's on piece. It's well, it's a hotel. I think it's like the Montage. It's some fancy shit. But they have like a hotel and then there's like a restaurant and we went there for my mom's 60th, uh, uh, I don't want to age her, but Oh, a little bit ago. And then, uh, it was like a four or five course meal that was just decadent. It was just, it was like art. I love meals that feel like art. And so I like, it was my like whole family, like my brother, my sister, my dad, me, my mom, and we all had like just these amazing five course meals that were just way overpriced, but so good. And then the hole in the wall spot that I really like is in uh, Tustin. And this was the first one that came to mind because it's like a childhood spot. That's like my favorite. Um, it's called Nana Kebab. Nun is bread and kebab is kebab. And um, it just has like, just it's all Persian food. It's just like traditional, just like you get this just big plate of rice and chicken, and then like you get kebab if you want. And the best part of it is there's two of the best parts aren't even the main dish, it's the salad. The salad is the money, like it's, it's the money. I've tried to recreate, my mom's tried to recreate the dressing for years now, for like at least 15 years and has yet to like master what the dressing is. It's so good. I'm like salivating just thinking about it. <laughs> and then they have like a really good Tadiq, which Tadiq is like crispy rice and they oh. put like stew on it. Oh, Ugh.
0: damn.
1: It's so good. Don't even, you tell I told you, I'm like a slut for food. <laughs> I, I love food. I, I'll eat anything like I'm, yeah people are like any dietary restrictions i'm like no like give <laughs> me all of it I'm like but yeah i would say nana kebab is like my first choice for aliens you just wow. you gotta know the world that way
0: yeah yeah, yeah. that's a that's a pretty fire list
1: Real, okay i was like i just felt like i was just saying i always get concerned because i'm like saying a lot but like i could go off about
0: this no 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 no, no it's great you're in you're in the right place for that um <laughs> There's this, if, if, if I can make a recommendation for you. Do it. There, it, It's not entirely like the hot, it's not entirely hot pot style in which you cook your food yourself. Yeah. But there's this franchise called Boiling Point. That's Taiwanese. I need to
1: write this down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, go for it.
0: Okay. So they they just give it, they, they have a menu. And so they give you everything already in this, bowl that's boiling Mm -hmm. um so it's it's more or less cooking in front of you so um so so there 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 is no like the hot pot or shabu thing where you like cook it in and then eat it you know it's just all right there everyone gets their own individual thing you know and then of course they have the sauces on the side and you have either a bowl of rice or noodles that you eat with it but boiling point is is phenomenal it, I feel like
1: I've driven past like one or two of them. There's in a fact, lot of them, yeah. I like oh yeah. Yeah. We should go sometime.
0: I'm Yes, down. I'm so down. Um yeah. Uh it's um
1: that sounds amazing.
0: Yeah, it, it it hits it hits the same feeling of like I I had this like soupy hearty type of thing and because you know you're seeing everything cook right in front of you there is this like lightness uh, and they have like a variety they have like a vegetarian one and a lamb one and like a super spicy one or you know whatever uh, but
1: yeah I love soups that's like a big genre of food that I love like I love pho I love ramen I love yeah. like all different types of soups and I, and thankfully, I'm very good at making soup too. So it's not just like I have to always get, go out. Like if I'm really in the mood for a soup at like three in the morning, which happens more often than I'm proud to say, um, it'll like, I can like whip up something nice and quick. If I have some broth on me. Yeah.
0: yeah, but yeah.
1: yeah I'm, I love soup. So that sounds amazing. <laughs> I'm like so excited. This is the best like conversation like i ever had on like a podcast. Cause it's yeah. just food is like, mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just
1: yeah. The soul. So yeah, that makes me happy.
0: I um, my brother, my my older brother lives up in um Seattle, and um, I like uh, visited him. Excuse me. I think in like 2018. Uh, yeah, 2018. Just to spend like that um a like quality time with him because we 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 had always seen each other there's a, there's a 13 year age difference between wow. him and I. So he went off to college, would come home. Like, you know, sometimes on the weekends, once he graduated, graduated college, he moved to Washington for his job. He's been there ever since. So anytime, you know, I'd see him and, um, and my sister who's nine years older than me, was always around like other family, whether it's, you know, our parents or uh, uncle aunts, you know, things like that. Yeah. So as I'm getting older, we're all collectively getting older and we're trying to have more of that time to to together but anyways i took this trip up solo trip to spend time with him and hung out with him and um, his wife my my sister-in-law and um uh my brother and i we went to a, a mariners game which is the you know the baseball yeah. team up there and so we went in there and i saw a din typhoon in the baseball stadium and deep inside my heart, you know, my mom is, my mom is from Taiwan. So deep inside my heart, there's this little Taiwanese boy, just waving this Taiwanese flag, just being like, we did it. We did it. You know, we because like, it. cause like we were like, we just have to see it, you know, so you walk over and it's like, you know, it's in a stadium. So it's like stadium prices. So it's like milk teas are like $16 and like hot dumplings or, you know what I mean? And, and I, I, I was so, I was so happy to see that it was we didn't get it because we were like we can get this cheaper you know what i'm saying yeah no no but you like
1: that they're like overcharging other people yeah (laughs) you're like you
0: know because like when it comes to like our our food (laughs) right um the the food of our our people right asia and like the middle eastern fry is always seen as like cheap and easy
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's not it's not you know J- J- Japan I, I have this conversation with my my, my girlfriend because her parents are um, from Japan immigrated here right and mm-hmm. so we, we, we talk about like like J- Japan kind of made it because it's like everyone when they think about Japanese food right has this sense of like oh it's so like you know elegant and expensive mm-hmm. and like classy like the the feelings associated with like sushi and Japanese food is completely different to like Chinese food, Thai food, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, we can also get into that as well, About, But anyways, you know, it was just so cool to, to, <laughs> to no, see. No,
1: I, I, I you know totally what I mean? get that. It's like so satisfying because like, uh, I I mean, with Persian food, it's always like a hole in the wall spot. Exactly. And it's always like you just it's like too much food for your own good. <laughs> Like, and it takes like so much time to make too. Yeah. So that it's like made in bulk, but it's also like, I mean, I've always wanted like a really, really high, high end, like expensive Persian restaurant. Yeah. Um, I think the closest I've ever come to feeling that level of satisfaction was like right by like, cause where I live, it's like one of like the hubs for Iranians. Like we have an Iranian grocery, we have like two Iranian grocery stores nearby. We have like a bunch of Iranian restaurants. But the thing that was like the moment where I was like, oh, like we made it, was they opened like um an ice cream shop uh oh. like in Irvine, right here, that serves Persian ice cream like, out of, like, the containers, like, the thing, like, you know, and I've never seen that before, and it was, like, I could cry just even thinking about it, like, I'm a big crier, so, like, I, even thinking about it makes me want to cry, because it's just, it's so special, you feel, like, you know, the, the, I don't know if, like, maybe this is just anything, like, you feel like the world has never treated you as normal, like, the world around you treats you as this, like, like a thing that doesn't belong or like a hole in the wall spot or something that's cheap or whatever made in bulk. We're like here. And there's nothing wrong with that, but to see that it was like validated.
0: Yeah. yeah like
1: yeah. Ice cream containers that usually hold vanilla and there's like this pistachio saffron ice cream, like with rose yeah, water. Yeah. Yeah yeah, the yeah, with the rose, yeah. yeah. It just was like, and like, and there's a line at the door for it and then like and, and this like this area has like this little on like i don't know it's like this outdoor like patio area and has like tables and everything and they hand, and in that area there's another there's a persian restaurant next to it and they hand out tea for free because we're persian and you know that's what we do and so everyone's like sitting outside and drinking tea in the summer sky and and like they're having like ice cream from this ice cream shop that carries like a bunch of iranian ice cream and i was like we made it. Like, <laughs> I was like, we made it. So I, I mean, I get it. I haven't yeah. hit that point where like Persian food is overpriced yet, but I'm, I'm waiting for the day yes. because yeah. I feel like it's a like, a, like Persian food is very much a secret hit. Yeah. Like no yeah. one really knows. Like, I, I feel like not many people know about it or they do, but it's like just they go for lunch, but I'm waiting for that like five star, like hundred dollar meal that like white people have to pay for. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I love I love seeing a line at Din Tai Fung. It just makes me like so happy. You know what I mean? Like um, yeah,
1: no, isn't that wild? I wonder what that is. Like I wonder why that's like a feeling because when I see the line go out for like Persian ice cream.
0: You just get so happy, right?
1: It's so satisfying. I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's good. I know yeah, it's yeah. good. I knew it was I knew it was good before it was cool. Like <laughs>
0: Because I, I I think like part of it, and this is something I think, um, you know, I shouldn't strive for in life, right? But it's the it's the acknowledgement and and respect from like white America, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so when when you do see it, you're like, aha, like you know, we've been, yeah, you know, like
1: it's like, it's great, but it's also like sad, right, right, <laughs> yeah, it's great, but it's also very sad,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's good. I I, I, I always feel like, you know, that to understand someone's culture, you know, you don't have to like, I mean, you could read a book or watch a documentary, but if you just go to one of these hole in the wall restaurants, you will like understand. And I think that understanding is, you know, we're not that different as like people. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, what I mean? I
1: don't know if you've ever heard of the term soft power. Yes. Like I think about it like uh, it it is like uh, when you go to that restaurant like that's basically what like the food and culture of like people of color kind of like in the world and in like especially America that's like their influence of soft power like the reason like I don't know I just I think like it's important that those beacons are here, mm-hmm. not just like as influence, but it, and it sucks that we have to continually ha- hu- try to humanize ourselves for for who. Uh, but but having the food there is like it, 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 it at, at least for it, it is in an effort to humanize ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, which is like so stupid. It just makes <laughs> me so mad. They just like fight me to the death. Like I hate it, but yeah, it's because okay. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like you're right. In America, we constantly have to like humanize and justify ourselves for white people. Where like I, I think perhaps the the, the bigger pursuit is you know, see like uniting our communities and ourselves, like, and seeing the value inherent in ourselves. But it's so hard when like everywhere in the place that you live and you breathe is like telling you that you are not worthy, Mm -hmm. that you are not, that you are not normal or that you are not accepted. I think that's like a huge thing. And that's like going back to me growing up and seeing all these like Churches everywhere, and and like a lot of like super rich people, and like just all these nice clothes and these nice things, and the big it it made me feel like oh I would not be accepted here. I don't even know how to even access this. Like it it definitely it, it creates like um such a yeah. So I think it's just like and I think we're seeing that culturally that shift from like oh we need to be accepted and humanized to like oh we just need to accept and humanize ourselves mm-hmm. there i mean this is like such a tangent but like uh they, like i i don't know if you've read my book but um i've been through some things there have been some tough things that have happened in my life and like anytime i would talk about these like hard things i would um you know i would be like oh i don't really know what happened in this moment or i don't know and in in the process and i promise i'm getting somewhere but like I I realized that like, there was this moment I was like, I was processing like a certain experience that I had. And I realized like, oh, in that moment, I was afraid. And I didn't even realize that I was afraid. Like, I didn't even realize I felt fear in that moment. And then the moment I realized I was scared in that moment, like as like me now looking at me then saying like, oh, I was scared. This me now, was able to give so much compassion to that person in that moment. Mm. Like I I had stopped giving myself compassion. I was like, oh, like, you know, no one's gonna believe you. Like you, you put yourself in this situation, like da-da-da, you're so stupid, blah, 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 Like there's something about you that is like a, a magnet to this thing. But um, once I realized like in this moment I was scared, I like very much humanized myself. I very much like saw, saw this space of like self-compassion and it made space for an immeasurable level of healing. Like, I can't even explain to you because I don't, I don't know about you. Maybe this is like a me thing, but like, I never gave myself permission to accept that I can be scared.
0: Mm.
1: You know what I mean? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So like, I, I never thought I felt that feeling before. I never even realized what scared looked or felt like you know because <laughs> you don't think like that um, but the moment I realized that I was like oh wow like just, so in a similar kind of emotional texture it's the same thing it's just having compassion for yourself so that you, you are like finding that compassion for yourself in whatever way you can so you can fucking live <laughs> like it's just to live your life like Cause I, cause like I, when I kind of evaluated like the world around me, like growing up and just evaluating, I don't know, just kind of all the stuff that was kind of getting in the way and being like, well, yeah, of course I would have a hard time with this. Of course I didn't know how to do this. Of course this was like, I, I didn't have those things. I was like, okay, it wasn't my fault. This isn't my fault. Right. Like my, my parents, uh, they went to college a, a long time ago, the college system now very different. Of course, they wouldn't have known how to do it. Uh, they, they, uh, they didn't know all those resources that all the rich kids had with all tutors and all these things and whatever. Like, so for me, it was like, oh, of course, I didn't know these things. And having that compassion, I was like, it just kind of it, you, you take a lot of weight off yourself, because it's not your fault. I, I don't know if that like kind of brings it full circle in a way hmm. but it was very much like uh, people talk about self-compassion as like very hippie woo woo like love yourself it's be, <laughs> that'll be fine like all of you like whatever but it's very much a very tangible thing yes. you know like it's a really it's, it's a tangible thing and it takes it, it, it does take a lot of work hmm. You know, it, it
0: took a lot of work. Wow. That is, that's awesome. Full circle. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. It's this, Um, so in Buddhism, right? There's this, at least in form of Buddhism, I practice, there's, there's this concept called human revolution where it's by the process that in which we change our environment changes. Oh, that's uh, so
1: cool.
0: Yeah. So, you know, because like we, we, we can always blame others, right? Like oh you know I'm so great but why does my you know my relationships always end in this way or my boss doesn't appreciate me you know like it's because there's something inherently within ourselves right that that feels that way about ourselves, you know and I think um it's this it's this process of really almost like echoing what you said earlier about like the poetry and writing thing it's about being realistic about what you're not necessarily realistic, but just honest about what you're experiencing and, and this this process of truly understanding your experiences and what, what you've gone through and how you can, you know, ultimately like allow that to be a part of who you are instead of trying to, I think at least for me that the tendency is, Oh, we just won't, we just won't acknowledge or like, look at that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but th- that that's only stopping me from being, you know, who I really want to be for the people that I care about, you know? So, well,
1: yeah, no, I, we were, I think this is like something I'm definitely going to, my brain's always like, I'm going to write about this thing because it's so much like, because it's way, way deeper. But I was, I was talking to a group of students for an editing workshop and they're like, how do you know when like something is perfect, which is something I think We all, as like creatives or creators, which I think everyone's a creative, does it's like, when is this done? When is this perfect? When am I going to like make it? And something that I told them is like, create our perfection is super overrated and it's not achievable. It's just not. Like it's, you're gonna have that in your brain. Like when I was trying to release this workshop thing, I was like, I want everything to be perfect. It very much wasn't, stuff fell apart, stuff didn't work out. But but something that is even better than being creative. And this was like something that, um, who was it that taught me this? I don't remember, but it was one of my mentors who taught me this, who said it was Alicia Wise. It was Alicia. Um, and Alicia said, it might like something might not be done or it might not be ready. But it, it takes so much courage to release it, anyways. It it, it takes so much courage to to just try. And, and speaking to what you said about, you know, being honest with yourself, to know, like to see everything, to see that you're scared, right? To see that you don't know if it's gonna do well, to see all these things and 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 have the courage to do it anyways, despite whatever imperfections you may face or imperfections the project may have is I think probably it, 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 in my opinion is way more valuable than perfection. Mm. I think seeing like an artist or a creator have the courage to put something out is way better than someone being like, oh, this is perfect. I'm glad that it's perfect, but also like it's so unattainable. Um, My book coming out into the world, There, there were parts of it that I felt were imperfect, but, but I, 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 when it came out, I actually find the thing perfect now because of how imperfect it is because of the courage it took for me to like put it out there. Um, If that makes sense. So I think it's very much the same way with any creative endeavor or just like life endeavor. Like I looked at that situation in my life and I was like, oh, I was scared. Seeing that I was scared and kind of like having the courage to voice it, having the courage to process it, having the courage to still take risks in life despite it is um, I think a way better the decision than to be like, I need to be fully healed from this experience. And like, I need to be like my best self. Like, it's just—it's not gonna happen.
0: Yeah, it's impossible.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I'm a big fan of courage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you for everything that you shared, and um, yeah, all of your insight. Um, I want—if it's okay, I'll start like transitioning us out of this (laughs) episode (laughs) because I feel like. We could just go on and on and on. We and on.
1: really could. I'm 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 holding you to the <laughs> boiling pot. I'm holding yeah, you. Yeah, to
0: it. yeah, yeah. No, it'll happen. It'll happen. Um, pending Delta variant, all that good stuff. I know.
1: Stuff. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, It'll
0: happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. It'll in happen in
1: like two or three years. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But it'll be great. You know, what I mean? it'll
1: be great. It'll let's, be great.
0: What's another two or three years? You know, for us. We'll Easy. see. <laughs> we have
1: eight years under our belt. It's I fine. know.
0: It's so crazy. Yeah. Um, so um if anyone wants to like follow you and like keep track of you know what please share your you know socials and oh, website yeah, yeah The plugs. Uh,
1: i have an instagram it's o-h-o-h sheila with two a's so o-h-o-h-s-h-e-i-o-a-a so o-o-sheila with two a's Um that's my main spot. I do have a TikTok. I don't remember the name. It's there. Um, (laughs) it's a great promo. Um, and I have a website, it's sheila You can follow me there and just see my stuff. I'm mainly on Instagram though. Yeah. As you can tell, I have a slight disdain for the social medias, but um, but I also have a Facebook and I have a book. I have a book that's out. You can find in Barnes and Noble, not a cult and the, the devil incarnate itself, Amazon. So it's, it's all there. It's called birthday girl.
0: Awesome. Um, all of that will be in the episode, <coughs> excuse me, uh, description and all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for, Thank for you. being here. I hope you had a great time. And- I
1: did. It was so fun. Okay, good. It's good. This, the, this,
0: this, this, you know, this won't be like a one and done thing. We'll have to get you back on. And actually, th- this, I, I um, had another episode with uh, a wonderful friend of mine, Lisa that I met through college, and um, and she's also a big fan of yours. And so her episode hasn't been released yet because I wanted to get this episode out first, right? Um, but, uh, anyways, um, after, after we, we stopped hitting, re- uh, recording with, with her, she's also a writer and poet. And we did, um, we did, a uh, a, a, a one man show together. I was the man in the one man show and she wrote it. <laughs> um, but, uh, anyways, um, I said like, Hey, let's do an episode between like the three of us. Let me just get the one, you know, the episode with you. Oh, that was
1: episode- so cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then she was like super you know,
1: oh my god yeah,
0: they were well, they were the super happy about know. it yeah so anyways um expect that out at some point i'll i'll, I'll yeah no that.
1: let me know i'm more than happy i love i love questions like i'm like i'm a slut for food i'm a slut for questions I yeah. love questions. so yeah, yeah, yeah i'm all about talking and and just like connecting especially because we haven't seen each other in so long and we've yeah. just been kind of in each other's orbit
0: yeah exactly you
1: know? it, it's nice to connect i like and- it
0: Yeah. And I think, I think the real power, like you said, the the community comes from, I I think having uh, yeah, I'm just so excited having like the, the three of us in one room at the same time talking about
1: feels powerful.
0: Yeah. 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 So anyways, I'll, I'll just tease that, but for the, you know, indefinite future, but uh, I'll, I'll. I guess I should do my outro. Anyways, thanks everyone Thank <laughs> for listening uh, to today's episode of the podcast. Um, you can listen to the podcast again on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud under the Christopher U podcast. You can also check out my Instagram at Christopher Ju. I believe my TikTok is under at Christopher Ju. Um, if you want to see the video recording of this, so basically just the the video of this recording that we have, you can check it out on my YouTube, which is also under at ChristopherJU on my YouTube. You also find highlights from my Twitch stream. If you want to check me out on Twitch, it's under, uh, twin turbo, T W I N T U R B R O. So that's the only thing not under Christopher you, Christopher J U anyways. All right. Thank you again. She let's, you know, And uh, again, for everyone listening, uh, please take care of yourselves. And if you can, someone else as well. Bye-bye.